Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Um, today is July 3rd. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, this week, we've got a great show for you that features an interview with a um, an agent who I'm sure you know from Twitter and perhaps elsewhere, who is a we are all a big fan of, um, Eric Smith. He's tied with you for my favorite Eric. <laughs> Well, well, then it's on. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we before we get into any of that stuff, um, how about the basic rundown for the week, huh? Absolutely. So it is July. It means it's time to announce our special episode dates. Our query show, where we critique queries by real authors like you, um, will go live Thursday, July 13th. Our writing by reading episode will go live Thursday, July 20th. Definitely stay tuned on Twitter and Facebook to see what our selection will be for this month. It's going to be a good one. Um, And then our first pages show goes live July 27th, which is also a Thursday. Um, If you want us to critique your query or your first page, send it to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to read it and we'd love to tear it apart to help you out. (laughs) Um, And I guess the last thing before we start um, is we're just kind of renewing our call for reviews on iTunes. Um, If you like the show, and want to find a nice, free, and easy way that takes 30 seconds to support us, um, we would so much appreciate it if you gave us a little rating. Um, mostly because I think that that's how you climb the charts, and I just really want to be on the damn chart. I'm we so- want to we want to be specifically <laughs> above the New York Times I'm just podcast. sad that we're not on the chart yet, yeah. and I so badly would like to be on it. So let's get on the damn chart. Help <laughs> us get there by reviewing us, please. <laughs> um, all right. What do we got first? Emma Watson's been up to some something, and it's not <laughs> that Harry Potter was published 20 years ago. Thank goodness um, that it's not So Emma that. Watson, also known as Hermione Granger, also known as the uh, the actress spokesperson for feminism. Um, she is kind of like the – She is. It's her thing she's now. Sort of, it's her thing yeah, now. She's, yeah, she's got this program called He for She, which is all about um, – having men embrace the label of feminism to destigmatize it, which is lovely, and it's lovely work. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things she's doing as part of her lovely work... So she's got... Yeah, all right. ...is is that she is leaving 100 copies of The Handmaid's Tale around Paris. <laughs> just like... Just like in spots, just yeah, like around. Yeah, it's got like a ribbon on it, and like she wrote a bunch of like notes. She like annotated each uh-huh. copy in some like not deeply annotated because it's 100 copies, uh, but with notes in French, and then she just like left them around, around? the streets of Paris. Oh, and this is this is how we're we're doing the feminism thing. This, I guess. This I mean, I my question is so yeah. this this is kind of a larger thing right right? it's she's doing this with the book fairies which is this international organization to leave books around places for people oh right oh that's fun so emma watson has become a fairy she's She's no longer a witch she's become the book fairy and she's leaving um the handmaid's tale which um obviously has you know very you know there's a lot in there about you know feminism that is worth contemplating um, but my question is: is why why Paris? Like, <laughs> that and is why a good question. Yeah, like, like I feel like we should be doing that around here. <laughs> I know. I was like, first of all, Americans need a Handmaid's yeah. Tale more than Parisians do, and second of all, do Parisians not have Hulu? Yeah, like, le le Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> that was very rude to my yeah. French friends and listeners. All of our many listeners in France, I'm sure, are we actually have some. Do we really? We really do. Wow. 
I know. I apologize to those people. Um, but yeah, I I it's like it's a it's a cool gesture. I'm like, cool, a hundred people are getting the handmaid's tale, but like I think we should be leaving them around Washington, DC. Okay, or something. so what book are you leaving around when you decide to become a book fairy? Oh my what's god, your, that what's is your such new a hard thing? question. Um, do you know what I haven't given this a ton of thought? But I think that a book that I would leave around for people would need to be kind of hopeful and mm-hmm. kind of optimistic about what humanity does and what we're for. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that I would maybe leave copies of The Wanderers by Meg Howery oh, around. That's like a new topical answer. That's very good. Yeah. I, I Well, I read it a couple weeks ago. I think I finished it two or three weeks ago, and I'm still talking to people about it. It very much stuck with me. It's yeah. about um, three astronauts and their families Yeah, as the three astronauts prepare to be the first people to go to Mars. Mm-hmm. And it's very much about exploration and and what you're giving up and what it means to 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 strive and be human and be your best self and be your best human yeah. and it's very interesting. Well, this is I feel like this is a good um, point in the favor of the print book. I mean, last year, print books were or last week, print books were getting you indicted for terrorism. So it's good to know that um, <laughs> this week they're back in they're back in good graces. Um, can what, you get? Can you, you guess what my book is? Uh, <laughs> it's the only book I ever give anyone. Oh, the Yiddish Policeman's yeah. Union. Yes, I, that's the book I'm leaving around, and I'm leaving it in like all the places that you know. It's like behind the trash can, and like all I want the people to find the book <laughs> that like aren't really, you know, like I feel like Emma Watson is leaving this book in places where like clean people go, you know, yeah, where it's like got a beautiful green <laughs> ribbon on it. Exactly, like these pictures on her Instagram. Of this, it's always like you know, like very like curated windowsills and things like that. I want to leave the Yiddish Policeman's Union like in the cheap tabloid rack, or like <laughs> in, behind the dumpster, or like in the you know whatever aisle at CVS, you know, by the pigeon that has one foot. <laughs> exactly, that's what I want to do. Um, so that's that's going to be my um, my contribution to the world's cause. Just because, as ever, I think everyone should read that book, and I love it dearly. And the thing of it is, is I actually haven't read it in a very long time. So maybe it doesn't hold up at all. Like maybe I. So I, I read it a few months ago. It's very good. That's why I'm like scared to reread anything. Because like, what if I don't like it anymore? No, so you'll never... you'll like it. You kept telling me about it, and I finally <laughs> read it, and it was. It was very good. I'm such. A, I have like four conversation topics amongst people. <laughs> like I feel like most people I talk to about anything are like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've talked about that before. <laughs> we've talked about that book. We've talked about Michael uh, Shabon before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so that's that's what I'm leaving around for people. That's a good classic answer, I think. <laughs> yeah. So there was this other thing we saw um, over the last couple of weeks, and it's summer, so this felt appropriate. Um, Tomorrow is Independence Day. <laughs> indeed it is. So it's in the sun with some sunscreen um, and a beer and a book. Right. Um, so this is an article we saw in Broadly um, by a woman named Ilana Massad. Um, and she wrote an article um, called When Totally Normal Books About Girls Turned Into Beach Reads. And hmm. basically the premise is that, um, you know, fiction, you know, marketed toward women at this time of year sort of gets cast as, you know, chiclet and, you know, beach literature. And it doesn't really happen for the same way for um, you know, literature geared towards men. Um, and she, I think, makes a pretty compelling case for that. But my question to you is, what do you consider a beach read? Because I think that people have differing thoughts on that. And mm. maybe, you know, tagging on to that, have you read one recently that you felt particularly beachy 
about? Mm. So that's a really good question. I think that in my brain, I think about beach reads as like kind of sweet, fast reads, you know, 70,000 words or less with um, with kind of like a happy ending and some kissing, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily like a romance novel, but like that, right? Sure. Um, but in <coughs> my own reading style, that is not at all what I read when I'm at the beach. Okay. And like, so I, we, we're in Minnesota. We've got over 10,000 lakes and there are a lot of beaches. Um, Minnesota is the ultimate beach state is quite the take. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We have, we have more, um, we have more shoreline than California. Ooh. Yeah. I like that stat. I'm going to start throwing that at people. Actually, it might not be California. It might be Florida. We have, we have a surprising. (laughs) Let's just say, let's just say both. No, 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 no. I've, I've decided that it's both. Um, I don't want to be corrected. Um, we have, we have a lot of shoreline. We've actually got the most shoreline in the world. (laughs) Just the most. Um, it's the best shoreline, the greatest shoreline. It's the greatest. Um, uh, so I, I spend a lot of time at the beach in the summer. Um, and here here's what I like to read. I like to read some sort of speculative fiction mm-hmm. that is very kind of um, – it transports you a lot. It doesn't necessarily need to be like a, a second world fantasy or anything like that, but it mm-hmm. needs to be something entirely unlike what I have now. It also needs some kissing. With like – and like fairly minimal emotional complexity. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like it it can't have a ton of storylines. <laughs> it can have it can have good emotional complexity. Well, you're probably drunk reading this. Yes, right? of course I am. <laughs> so I just like – you know, like one yeah. main character mostly mm-hmm. rather than like a multiple POV kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't have one of those this summer yet. Yeah. I haven't I haven't yet been to the lake. Right. Um I should I should really get on that. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't I don't have one yet. So if you have a suggestion, please let me know. Well, I just read um something that felt like a beach read to me and it was kind of an I didn't really expect it to be one. Um I sort of picked it up thinking it was going to be something else, but I did end up enjoying it for what it was. Um, and it made me think about what I view as a beach read because I do think it's different for different people, right? Because, um, you know, I would consider, you know, a lot of like maybe like a James Patterson novel is mm-hmm. probably a good beach read or like, um, you know, the Lee Childs of the world or, you know, like those spy novels or like even, you know, just any of those like secret agents. The number that, one deta- ladies detective agency. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff too. Yeah. But I read um, I read A Man Called Ove. <laughs> Have you wait, wait, <laughs> that's a beach read for you? Yeah. Like not, the super serious drama well, that was okay, that so, was made into a movie. Okay, so and, I, I haven't seen the movie, but my, my guess is that the movie was a little bit harder hitting than the book. And I love don't take that as a criticism of the book. I loved the book. But the book, like and I wanted it to be like really like I picked it up obviously because it was about cranky Swedish people, which is like <laughs> The number one thing I like. But there were in Sweden, right? They were, yeah, it's out there. Yeah. So your beach read is a bunch of cranky people in a very cold yeah, country. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, <laughs> just checking. <laughs> um, but what I liked about it is it had the same, like, I think the same reason that people read um, the lighter stuff, right? That they go to the beach and they just want to, like, read, like, a story where people end up kissing, right? That's what I liked about this book in the completely opposite direction. It was just a book where the dude, the main character of... Um, he was just allowed to be crabby all book, 
And there was like fairly minimal character development. There was fairly, you know, there wasn't, I mean, there was a lot of like nice, sweet things happening in the book. But like mostly he just got to be like crabby the whole time. And then at the end, like he died. You know? <laughs> Wait, and, and that it was, like, was your beat. And it was like, no, no, no. This is this okay. is the exact. I was do, I devoured this book like much faster than I read. Like I'm a pretty slow reader, right? Like I and, think you called the. I think you sent me a text message and called this book your book dad. Like it's your father now. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. No, this I mean, book is my father now is a text I actually received. <laughs> no, but I um, – yeah, no, I loved it because it was just like about this um, curmudgeonly old man and I didn't have to deal with any of the like terrible emotional complexity of being a curmudgeonly old man, right? Like none of like the real life ramifications of like being a total bo- terrible person to be around all the time. Um, this guy was just allowed to be crabby, and everyone just like thought it was kind of sweet and fun. And I was like, "Yeah, this is the escapism <laughs> that I want." <laughs> so anyway, the point of this is that um, I think beach reads are different for for everyone, and I do think that uh, Ilana Massad has a point when she says that um, it's a little strange that the term has come to mean very specifically, um, you know, very light women's fiction. Yeah, bubblegum women's fiction. Yes. Mm. I would. I, this is one that I would love to hear, not only from from our listeners in terms of what I should be reading this summer yeah. because I haven't picked yet, um, but also what they read in the summer. Like, what is their beach read? Yeah, I don't know. I'm wondering if it changes with location. Like, I wonder if like I went to Jamaica for a week, mm-hmm. if I would want to read a different book than if I you know stayed at a lake in the Northwoods of Minnesota. See, I think it's. Um, I think that that's true in the lead up. To vacations. Does that make sense? No. Like, well, if you're like going, like if you were going to Jamaica for a week, like one th- one book I wouldn't bring, you know, I wouldn't bring a book as heavy as like A Brief History of Seven Killings, right, to, you know, to Jamaica because you're on vacation. You're not going to. And you don't want to read about murders in Well, Jamaica. you know, it's, you're just not in that kind of emotional headspace. You want to do something that heavy. But if I knew I was going to Jamaica or if I knew if I was going somewhere where a big, heavy, serious novel was, you know, takes place, I might read that beforehand. But once I'm actually there on the beach, I don't want to read a book like that. Hmm. Yeah, the prep, the prep, the work. prep book, the prep book can be like some serious thing that makes you feel interesting when you're there. Yeah. You know? When I um, was taking myself around Dublin because I accidentally uh, had a flight home when I was living in the UK after, like many, many days after I lost my apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I needed to go somewhere and I went to Dublin and I had the Dubliners on my Kindle and I would mm-hmm. read it around the city because I was there by myself and very cold because it was December. Um, and I was like, this is good. The did Dubliners like is a good thing. When you were, I did how, like it. That feels like an interesting fit. It was. It was really good because, like, I would I would walk around and I would like sit down and I would read, you know, I'd go to a coffee shop and I would read one of the stories. And you could in just sort Dubliners. of see the stories, like, right, like. Well, yeah, yeah, and so that's the thing is like Dublin is an immensely walkable city, yeah. and I would be going to all of these places where like it happened, and I was like, I get this right, now. Right. I get this now. Um, I was also like mildly drunk that whole trip. So well, that's also. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> so that was also on. nice. So the last thing um, that I think is just worth bringing up for the week um, before we dive into our lovely interview with Eric Smith um, is this article I found um, a few weeks ago um, by 
uh, it was, I guess it was published on the 19th. It's from the Huffington Post, and it's called Why Book Publishing Seeks Artificial Intelligence. It's by a woman named Holly Lynn Payne. So um, with this, I don't want to dive into some big, far-reaching discussion about artificial intelligence. We can save that for a different episode. But <laughs> the, um, you know, the crux here is that it, um, this new company that deals with algorithms and AI um, – it's seeking to solve a very, very fundamental and growing problem in book publishing, which is that um, there are, in terms of like readerships and like trying to like stand out, there are way too many books, right? Like the self-publishing has grown exponentially over the last few years. Um, you know, everybody's writing. There's so much noise out in the world, and it creates this situation where like. People and pub- or publishers don't know how to m- market books. To, they don't know how to find the right readers. They don't know how to make their books stand out as well as they used to. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to um, find the people who would read, want to read something specifically about them. And it got me, um, it got me thinking about a problem that I see happen all the time. And it's something I actually um, was kind of talking about online, and even wrote a little blog post for the Red Sofa site uh, recently. But like, um, I wish sometimes that. People could see the conversations that happen between agent and editor, agents and editors about fiction because so much of it is just based on conjecture and feeling and like stand like standard talking points of things like fit and you know I don't know I, w- I don't know if I know how to market this or I don't know how to you know make this one break out or I didn't quite connect with the characters all these things that mostly just mean we're all guessing about whether or not a book is going to find an audience and. Um, a book is going to be able to, you know, to stand out in an age when there are so many books per year. And so my question to you about all this, and obviously this is a pretty, like, there's a lot to unpack here, but just briefly, do you think that human element in judging um, whether or not a book is going to connect with a person, you know, as, um, you know, these sites come up, this thing called Booksby, that is like down to the syntactical level trying to find ways to judge whether a certain book is right for a certain reader. It's like basically, you know, this computerized version of that book reader connection. Do you think that human element is going to start to take a backseat to data analytics? Or do you think that like, you know, for instance, you know, agents are always talking about, you know, their eye for work, right? And editors always have a sharp eye or something like, and the eye is, it's imprecise, right? And that there's a certain human imprecision that comes in all um, book acquisitions. And I'm wondering if you think that's ever going to go away or take a back seat or be diminished based on, you know, the better we get at creating programs to do it for us. Oh, that's that's a hard thing. I, I, I think no. Yeah. And I think no because, it, at least for me, a lot of the time I don't – want to read something that's a perfect fit for me. Like yeah. if I want to read something yeah. that's a perfect fit, I've already read that book 50 times. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing. It's like I my my most favorite earth-shattering books is when I read something that is not a Laura book and I realize that oh wait, it is because there's something else. And I and I feel like sure there there can be math done with a lang- like language in a book you know, and sentence structure and syntax and word choice. And there can also be, you know, thematically yeah. things that are chosen. But ultimately, you know, a lot of a lot of books happen once they're consumed by the reader. 
you know, and I and I and I think that separating out the the kind of human experiential aspect of this is kind of going to give an incomplete picture. Well, so I think that's I think that's a pretty good take. Um, I want to read one little paragraph here uh, from this article, and it goes like this. On the consumer side, metadata and collaborative filtering have been the key techniques for solving book discovery. Unfortunately, neither neither offer personalized recommendations. The customer who bought X also bought Y analysis doesn't understand why anyone chooses X or Y. Of the avid readers we interviewed, none were satisfied with Amazon's book recommendations and most distrusted or ignored them. And I think that gets at what you're saying, that you know, purchase history and like being able to analyze um, what you've read before doesn't necessarily predict what you're going to like next. You know, it certainly can help, and it can certainly point you to things you've already looked at. But um, I guess maybe you know the analog I'm thinking of, you know, here as as always is the case is like, um, you know, like sabermetrics in baseball or like advanced stats in basketball, where like suddenly there are people who think that you can explain entire sports and like evaluate athletes based purely on statistics, right? These number, these really sophisticated numbers that you can generate. And you can do a lot with that. Like you can determine how efficient someone is or how effective except someone is. Except for it's people and everybody except, has a different day. Except eventually, it, um, you know, it's sort of this movement that seeks to eliminate the eye test, you know, eliminate the quote-unquote gut feeling, you know, like the human element. And while I think all those numbers and I think that this will be useful, I sort of see this going – in the same way as sports, which is that you're never, ever, ever going to get away from, you know, the human element. You're never going to get away from, um, ju- you know, human judgment calls, a lot of which are pretty wrong, you know. <laughs> but you can hopefully make more informed decisions as opposed to letting the machine make the decision for you, which is how a lot of, you know, when this stuff pops up in other places, um, it's how it ends up getting used. And so I hopefully what I, we get is like more informed human acquisitions decisions mm-hmm. as opposed to like well the algorithm algorithm says this a lot of a lot of this technology that's happening is obviously focused towards the user right the the end reader mm-hmm. um and and i think just to kind of put a bow on this i think the reason that this technology isn't going to take over as the the number one way people people find books Mm-hmm. Um, is the same reason why it's not going to take place for agents and editors. You know, I am selling a book as an agent to an individual editor, right? Yeah. I am learning their taste. I am learning yeah. that, you know, what specifically they don't know that they want and kind of just feeling it out. And it's still a hand-to-hand interaction. It, it's, a, it's a hand-to-hand and it's an individual selling to an individual. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if that changes. Well, I don't – see, I don't but think I don't, it yeah. will because it's it's an individual sending selling to an individual and that's the same thing as a book on a shelf being sold to an individual. Like you can take metric, or market metrics all you want, but at the end of the day, selling to each individual reader, like no matter what the technology is, you're still not going to be able to get exactly everybody right all right. of the time. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that that's spot on. Um, I'm looking at, uh, you know, this polling that these, that this, you know, these people did and this, their sources, their first three are, 
Um, they reeled off, this is what it says, they reeled off numerous sources for the polling. Amazon, Goodreads, bestseller lists, podcasts, and bookseller and friend recommendations. Now, those first three are now all Amazon. Yes. Um, you've got Amazon, <laughs> Goodreads, and the bestseller lists. So, like, my thought when I opened this up, first, my first thought was, well, this is going to be something that Amazon's going to do because it's going to be all their data and they're going to... Amazon is already doing it. Now Amazon all, has weird categories. Right. So this this definitely feels like something to watch as, you know, as it relates to um, prior conversations we have. But hopefully, I mean, you know, this put to good use could mean selling more books. It could mean to more efficient choices, you know, and that's always good. It's just I don't necessarily see this replacing the editorial eye, so to speak. Or even right? just browsing at a bookstore. Right. Maybe maybe it'll help people have if they have you know a certain number of titles on the shelf. This yeah. would be a really cool thing for booksellers actually, yeah. because it will allow them to have a little bit of everything, yeah. rather than to be overly focused on one thing and then just be ca- entirely missing a type of yeah. book. Yeah. That would actually be interesting. Yeah. Booksellers get on that. No, there is there's a lot. Of good, <laughs> that's the thing is like with this stuff and like to make it clear on the sports analogy I made. Like I'm really interested in the, all those advanced numbers. I think they're really helpful. I just don't think they're a pure replacement for human judgment. And so you could see how um, a blending of the two could actually solve a lot of publishing's efficiency problems if it was meant to be a blending and not a replacing. You know, it'll definitely be something that'll be interesting to watch in the next few years. But I think we should focus on right now, and I think we should talk to the other Eric, yeah. Eric Smith of PS Literary. You know Eric from Twitter, at Eric Smith Rocks. You also know him for his fluffy-butted corgi um, and his various other furry animals. You know him. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm joking. I'm not. Uh, you'll also know him as the author of Inked and Branded from Bloomsbury Spark, also the Geek's Guide to Dating from Quirk Books and the upcoming Welcome Home anthology about adoption from Flux Books. He is also um, kind of making waves. He's got his first round of authors with books coming out that he sold as an agent. So that's been really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, he is one of our best friends in the industry, and we're very excited to have him on. Welcome, Eric. Hey. Hi. We're so glad to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Especially because you are very tired. You were just at ALA. Yes, I was at ALA for three days, and then I was in uh, I was in Virginia at Roanoke University for three days before that. So it's wow. been a, a lot of traveling. Oh, but you so, know, talking so, about books, which makes me happy. So were <laughs> That's these? A good thing. Um, so what were you doing at these places? Were you taking pitches? Were you on panels? Like what sort of thing? Uh, well, Roanoke, I was just um, sort of like a guest for three days. Sure. So I had breakfast and lunch and dinner with the students and let them pick my brain uh i gave like one talk uh on wednesday and then the the rest of the time it was just spending time with the kids and talking to them about publishing trying to make it less scary uh (laughs) yeah good query letters and and first pages stuff like that it was it was lovely that place is gorgeous cool and then ala was like was actually scary Yes, that was uh, <laughs> that I did a I did a signing for my adoption anthology in a panel. Oh, that's which awesome. Was, uh, a lot of people came, so that made me happy. Um, it's always scary to do a panel anywhere because there's always this fear that no one will show up and you're going to be on this giant stage and right. people are going to walk by and be like, "Oh God, who's that loser?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that people, didn't happen. That but goes. people showed up. Yes, people were there. Uh, it was really nice, and then. Uh, and then I was also there for one of my authors who was going around to lots of events and had her own 
uh, sort of signing there. Um, her signing was bigger than mine, which made me very happy because, you know, <laughs> I want my children to uh, do better than me. So Certainly. Nice. Certainly. So, so that's, a, that's a really interesting thing that you just said. It's like, obviously, you are a writer. You've got your is this is is Welcome Home. Is the anthology your fourth book or your fifth book? Yeah, yeah, it's my uh, my fourth book. Okay, I, I thought it was four. Um, so this is your fourth book coming out, and you simultaneously have books that you sold come out. Um, on top yes. of that, you know, you've got your history at the publishing houses, and you're also a, a blogger and a writer, I know, for Paste and a few other mm-hmm. places. Um how how <laughs> is my is my question less about like the, <laughs> the hours in the day and more about like your bandwidth and like yeah, it, yeah. It, like like how much energy putting are you putting into the success of your book and then and then your author's books who then like you want them to be more successful of course because that's nice but ha- how <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I think I think it's all about like being really disciplined um like for me it's 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 really hard uh to sort of do anything that has to do with my stuff when I know there's projects that need to get done yeah uh if i open up my like submissions uh, i have like a massive spreadsheet where i have where everybody's uh being pitched at the given time or uh when they have a book i still need to read uh when there's stuff in there that's you know the 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 given color that tells me it needs to get done uh it's hard for me to work on my stuff um Mm -hmm. like and i feel like every agent has this this like crushing responsibility that it's it's not just someone's book it's someone's like you know this is their dream and you're responsible for it so well, that's I mean, a, it, it kind of comes first. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that, I've, I've been sort of lucky in my in my writing life to, you know, have an awesome agent, you know, who works with you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I want to be just as good. So I try to give them as much time as I can. So do you that's that's really um, that's great to hear. And I mean, one thing, you know, with that, um, with the competing energies and this prioritization, like does having a job specifically in the book world mean that you you have a harder time treating your writing life as your quote unquote job because it means that um you know like like you're saying like at any given moment there's probably someone else's book you could be working on and because the tasks are so similar maybe it's mm-hmm. easier to just continually pr- like not prioritize your own work even at like maybe perhaps much more so than if you had a job that wasn't in publishing and you were a writer you know yeah no i think that does happen you know i um Sorry, that's that's Agent Augie. He will be talking <laughs> from time to time. Oh, we we have questions about Agent Augie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I definitely prioritize my writers over me. Um, like I apologize to all future publicists and editors and my agent who will probably listen to this. Um, but you know, it's the agenting is more my job, and, yeah. and the writing is more. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's 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 more my passion because agenting is also the passion there. Right. Um, but like the agenting and my author's work definitely uh, definitely comes first. Makes sense. So then, do you do you find that the agent side of things is empowering you as an author, or is it like jading you as an author? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I feel, <laughs> I feel like I've gotten better deals for my authors than I, I have for my own work, uh, and that doesn't mean any, that doesn't say anything bad about my agent because my agent's awesome. It's just my work doesn't. I don't know. It's not as good <laughs> as uh, some of my authors is. I don't know about um, that. Which, I think it's just markets. I, don't know. I, I have, I have my writers are way more talented than I am, and I and I and I love them for it. Um, 
point, I feel, I feel like I went off track. What was the question? It was uh, what we were talking about. Is being is being Does on it, the agent it, side of things like empowering you in your own like writing career, or is it oh, leaving you oh. a little bit jaded? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe uh, like my, my experience writing and then my experience, you know, working at a publishing house before agenting made the leap into agenting easier. Mm-hmm. Um connections and meeting fellow YA authors and then meeting publicists and, and meeting their editors, uh, the leap into agenting was a lot smoother than I think it would have been uh, otherwise. I don't know if it works the other way, though, where it helps my writing. Um, sure. That's not that's not what it should be doing. You know, that's, right. um, you know, it, sh- it should be helping my, my authors. And I hope it does. Do you think that um, being being a writer has made you a better agent because I guess like to me thinking about it, um, you know, so much of being an agent is at least every now and then about empathy, right? Like it's about, you know, having someone's, like you're saying their dream and being kind of in charge of that and being able to, um, really, (laughs) um, really being able to like empathize with that person and like understand what they're trying to create and helping them find the right home for it. Do you feel like being someone who, you know, has worn the shoes of the author. It helps you like feel the way they might feel at any given moment of uncertainty. Oh, absolutely. You know, like I understand what that rejection sort of feels like, you know, I understand, um, you know, frustrations maybe with marketing, you know, I understand, uh, you know, the editorial process um, because I've, I've, you know, I've been through all of it. Uh, So it definitely makes that, that whole empathy aspect. um, Oh my goodness. So much, so much, um, yeah, yeah, the, the writing stuff helps. It also helps a lot when it comes to editing. You know, I'm, I'm a very yeah. editorial agent. You know, I like to dive in and, and touch stuff up a bit. And uh, I, I, I like to think my authors trust me more because of the experience there. Mm. Um, I mean, I hope they do. You guys, if you're listening, please trust me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, you, Eric Smith, I should say, because this is a question for both of my Eric's. You're both mine, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric yes. Smith, you were a published author before you became an agent. Eric Hain, mm-hmm. you are an agent and you are you have just finished writing your first book. Right. Is are you kind of viewing um viewing the agent writer balance the same way that Eric Smith just kind of outlined? I would I mean I think so. I mean what he's what you're saying Eric is that it's really tough to prioritize your own stuff over the people whose writing careers you've been asked to help manage. And um, I definitely, like, as someone who is much less further along on either front than you are, um, I definitely feel, you know, that in both, you know, in both capacities. Like, to me, um, it's really, like you're saying, it's really tough to, like, carve out time in a workday for my own writing when, um, you know, like, someone's book needs editing or someone's book needs pitching again or someone's um, you know, like any of that kind of stuff, like, because it all kind of feels, it's almost like my own work is just like one more project on my agenting list, even though it, it isn't, but like it, but it always belongs at the bottom of that priority list, you mm-hmm. know, and it, in a way, I guess like it helps to, um, you know, it's sort of a motivating factor to get through a to-do list. Cause it's like, you don't get to work on your own stuff until all this other shit is done. So, um, that's, that's always helpful, but See, yeah, I don't know. This all of this, like prioritizing your agenting over your writing, makes total and complete sense. But I was not expecting either of you to say it. 
Like (laughs) I was expecting like, you know, because you are you are two people that I know in my life that are very, very passionate about their own work and their stories and 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 their ideas and find a lot of joy in the writing process. And I'm just I'm just kind of I'm kind of thrown by that. I mean, I I am I am not a writer. And I guess that's that's interesting. I think as a as an author, though, who is wanting to be represented by somebody who also writes Mm-hmm. Knowing that they're going to be first is a good thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so related question. How come your dog has more Twitter followers than me? <laughs> he does. Yeah, he, he is He is getting popular up there. He's I very popular. I don't know what the deal is. I guess people <laughs> like, um, I you know, people are always going to like corgis, I guess. <laughs> does anyone think the dog is a real agent? Like, does anyone? Yes. <laughs> really? Okay, wait, no, tell us the story. Uh, yeah, I've gotten a couple queries uh, sent to him. Excellent. Uh, and I've sort of had to gently explain that, like, it's a dog. He is, he, he is actually a dog. Because um, I think maybe people see it and think, like, right, he might, be an, he might be an agent that just has a dog as the avatar uh, <laughs> and, like, joking around. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've had to uh, inform people otherwise. Has anyone ever <laughs> responded to that and said, like, oops, I'm sorry? Or. Oh, they just laugh like, oh, uh, my bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes when we get submissions for our first pages and query shows, they get addressed to the loon, who is our yeah our podcast's Twitter representative, mm-hmm. um, which is separate from both me and Eric. But like that's very much like everyone's just nodding to it being like to Eric, who pretends to be a loon. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter has just different. like removed all of our ability to like discern insanity from like regular stuff. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden we're like tweeting at dogs about our writing careers and stuff. It's, it's excellent. It's great. <laughs> so and then second question yeah. there, can we get um, can we get the dog verified on Twitter before Laura? Oh, that's a low <laughs> oh blow. The that's answer <laughs> should be no. The answer should be no. <laughs> I deeply want that blue yeah. check mark no, because you... in my heart I am just a a uh, selfish, mm-hmm. jealous person, mm-hmm. and I like the color blue. Um, no, I think Augie deserves a check mark though. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, it's fun. I like running that Twitter account because it was it's another one of those try to make publishing less scary sort right. of things. Right. You know, like can we all just laugh about it now and again? So that's. That's the whole reason he's there. <laughs> so so one way that I also notice that you make publishing a lot less scary um, is you are very, very open with a lot of your investment and emotional responses in a, about writing, about your own writing, about other people's writing, about your pro, about your job, et cetera, um, mainly in the fact that you're just crying all of the time. <laughs> Oh yeah, so, I cried a lot. <laughs> I cried a lot at ALA. Really? <laughs> Good. Was it was it oh, because goodness. of was it because of all of the signings? Did you which, which where did you cry? Take me through the moments Eric Smith cried at ALA. Uh, let's see. So when did I cry at ALA? Uh, watching Samira have her book signing. Oh. Uh, definitely teared up at that. Um, listening to people talk to her about you know what what her book means to them and and their 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 kids and their students like those were those were intense. Um, Definitely at my signing. That was that was that was really lovely. Um, and then reading a manuscript. One of my authors, uh, my buddy, my author Mike, has been revising his book, and it's just oh, every time I read it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is his like I don't know, like third revision or so, and like 
he's nailing it and all the emotion is there and it's just it makes me cry every time i read it oh so does that mean that whenever anybody goes to an like an eric smith book signing they'll get tears on the title page along yeah that's with your what signature? i want next to the yeah. signature yeah good yeah, there's there's a good chance. There's a good chance. I try to hold it back, but there's there's a good chance. I, uh, I think that that would like when when we're in the annals of history and like people are talking about Eric Smith, they'll be like, this genuine signed article will be like a certain amount of money. And then the ones with tear stains will be like more. And like people will like drop salt water on the title page and let it dry just so they can like counterfeit it. I don't know. That seems kind of fun. Um, but relatedly, inquiring minds want to know. Eric, do you keep a hanky or are you single-handedly keeping Kleenex in, in business? Oh, I just I just wipe tears on my shirt. Oh, know? okay. <laughs> yeah. That was an answer I wasn't expecting. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, we talk, we talk a lot on this show about kind of, I guess, what often feels like a divide between – um, writers who are out in the world kind of trying to make their own way and like the industry itself specifically like agents. And you are someone who has sort of successfully managed to straddle that divide somewhat. Like, you know, you've kind of, you have a career in both, on both sides. And like, so as someone with the perspective of being able to kind of bridge what often feels like just an insurmountable gap for a lot of writers, like what, what would you tell any author about like the space between like an author and an agent that maybe they would find encouraging, you know, like what has being both taught you about like trying to make it in publishing, whether it's as a writer or as a, as an agent? Oh man. Um, <laughs> this is, sounds silly, but I feel like you can get really far in this industry. Just, just being nice to everybody, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's sort of been my, my go-to when it comes to, uh, both being an agent uh, and an author, you know, uh, on the author side of things, I try to give out as much advice as I can, you know, whenever I can. Uh, same thing, you know, with the with the agent side of things. Um, keep those, that communication open right. as much as possible with my authors because I know that's uh, what I really like uh, as a writer. Uh, and as a result, I sort of build like a little community with the writers I represent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just being kind and being nice it's it's so easy you know it doesn't take a lot of work uh to be nice to everybody um well it sounds like it's a little like bit more the, than that it's it's a little bit about availability as well and approachability mm. yeah yeah just you know being open you know helps helps a lot um yeah i think it makes the whole process a lot easier and and you know and less scary well, it definitely like cuts. It's I think it, that's really good, and it definitely cuts against the grain of I think I think of how most people view um, publishing professionals. You know, like they kind of I often get the sense that there's this feeling that um, you know our side of things is kind of this closed off you know click, and like it's this club that we're, you know no one is allowed in. And to see you know people like you online and other agents who are like really. Um, you know, making an effort to just be like, no, 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 no. we're all just people trying mm -hmm. to trying to do this book thing. Um, I don't know. I view that pretty, um, I, I view that pretty favorably. And I think that's going to have a lot of good effects on things like representation and a lot of things where people who maybe didn't necessarily feel as included before are maybe starting to. I mean, do you think that that is a possibility? Yeah. It is. And, you know, I feel like social media does a really good job of breaking down those walls a lot. 
you know, like having people, you know, not just like me, but I mean, like you guys, you guys are really friendly, <laughs> you know, and Indeed I know lots are. of, yes, you are. And I know lots of other agents and editors who are really open on, on social media and, you know, talk about that process fairly often, you know, let people into their group, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they, or at least it shouldn't really uh, exist thanks to all of that. You yeah. know, that's really easy to get into a conversation and, and figure out what's going on. So this this may or may not be a related question, depending on what your answer is. Um, it's a question we ask everybody who comes on the show. Yeah. If you could change one thing about publishing or writing as an industry or an activity, um, what would you change? <laughs> Augie, what would this Augie, is not a question we'll ask Augie for you. Next. I know. He obviously has opinions. <laughs> um, I think that bark translates into more corgis. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's Maybe it's that that whole intimidation thing, you know? Like, it's the sort of thing, at least I know, I try to, to fix whenever I go to conferences and talk to people to make things less, make it less intimidating, you know? Um, as much as social media sometimes does a good job, of letting people in, it can also scare people, you know, yeah. like I know a lot of authors will see uh, agents talking about, you know, query letters that were really bad or Laura. talking about, don't, <laughs> or talking about projects that, you know, they, they think sound terrible or whatever the case is. Um, and it can maybe, know, maybe intimidate writers a little bit, make them feel like maybe they shouldn't be sending queries around when we want to be encouraging. Um, so maybe, maybe I would change that, but I also don't know how, you necessarily change that, you know? Um, well, I think the answer is just being open like you're doing, yeah. you know, like, and making things go faster. Like, Oh, why can't things go faster? Yeah. Why do contract, <laughs> why do contracts take forever? Uh, like, you know, every now and again, every now and again, I'll send Laura a, a chat and I'll be like, Hey, I sold a book. I can't wait for it to be announced in four months. <laughs> I've had a six month forever. contract. I've, yeah. I'm working on one with a debut author right now. And it seemed like everything, when we had the offers, everything was moving very fast. Everything was like we had the yeah. offers within two weeks because we had multiples and, and everything. And then we decided and then, you know, it was like great. And then she was like, awesome. We're like rolling. And I was like, yeah, but now we like sit for a month while we wait for all of the contract stuff to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I feel kind of bad about that. But there's nothing to be done. Um no, the 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 intimidation thing I think I think is really good. A lot of people that we have on the show say something about, you know, they they want to open the door to people that haven't been in this industry before, um, in in whatever way that means. And I think that intimi- that that shutting down that intimidation and kind of making information accessible is the first step. So I think mm-hmm. that's how you found it. <laughs> so. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on. We, um, we're we very excited to announce that we will be giving away a digital set of Inked and Branded by Eric Yay. Smith. So um, these books are very, very close to my heart personally because when I was a baby intern at Red Sofa, um, <laughs> I edited Inked for Dawn, who's Eric's agent, um, right at the beginning. So... I I ripped it up a little bit with you and you are really the first author I worked with very closely and probably that has Aww. a lot to do with why I'm an agent now. Aww. Wow, this got cute real fast. It did. I wasn't expecting it to go that way, but it did. Um, but it's good. It's a really there it's the first and second book of a really really beautiful um fantasy story and it's got magical tattoos. 
Hell yeah. There aren't any corgis. They're not any corgis, right? Oh, no, Corey. Okay, well, it can't always be perfect. Um, <laughs> so we're going to do something really exciting this week. Um, instead of Eric Hain and or me giving the right tip or the pub tip this week, we're going to have Eric Smith do it. Mm-hmm. So, Eric. Yay. They're tired of hearing from us. Yeah. They need somebody <laughs> new. <laughs> oh, man. So a good writing tip. Um, well, I know right now, considering the, the oh, goodness, the horrifying political climate, it can mm-hmm. feel... It can be a little difficult to to want to write the stories you potentially care about. Um, like I've I've definitely had a lot of friends who write like YA contemporary stories that are a little sunnier, little um, you know stories about teenagers that just want to make out. Right. Uh, it, it can kind of feel like those stories aren't important. Mm-hmm. Um, it can feel like those stories uh, aren't needed. Um, and I just want to remind everyone that they are. You know, for for this writing tip. Um, you know, we need stories that make us smile as much as we need stories that make us want to, you know, rise up and, you know, kick some ass. Um, so don't give up on writing those books that are close to you and those books that, you know, mean a lot. Uh, just because it seems like the, I don't know, like the climate doesn't, doesn't want them, you know, because they're necessary and they're needed. Uh, and yeah, write those books of your heart. Oh, yeah, that's, that's great. That's, that's all it is. That's a way better tip than we had about like <laughs> past perfect tense or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Eric Smith, and also all of you for joining us on this episode of Print Run. As a reminder, our July shows happen on the 13th, the 20th, and the 27th. Please send us your first pages and queries to printrunpodcast at gmail.com, and we will see you for our regular episode next week. Bye.